Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years, sometimes single stories, sometimes whole episodes. Keep in mind that years ago, people might have worded things differently than they would today. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, a story that Jeff Emptman first shared on the podcast in January of 2015. Here's Jeff now with a story we call The Blob. So a lot of the people I grew up with had real reasons to rebel against their parents. Plenty of, plenty of good reasons, and I had none of those, because anyone who meets my parents will first and foremost tell you that they're incredibly kind, polite, and rational. <laughs> my, my mother is a teacher. She's retired now. My dad was a doctor. He's retired now, too. Um, the second part, my, my dad being a doctor, will also become very important in the second half of this story. I got those first two traits pretty well from my parents. I was polite, and I'm, I'm kind. And the third one is the one that I chose to rebel against, albeit about 10 years too late, AKA last summer. Um, and kind of when I tell my parents this now, they, they roll their eyes at me and, and under their breath, they call me an idiot. Um, I was sitting, it was a hot day, middle of last summer, and I was sitting in a psychic's living room and my arms outstretched to her on the table like this. And there were a bunch of fans blowing at us really hard on, on the highest setting. And I was surrounded by doilies and cat figurines. And there's a TV on mute in the background. I think it was The View that was on, but I don't watch The View, so I'm not quite sure what it was. And my psychic, her name was Brenda. And I was looking at her, and she was looking at me right in the eyes. And I was saying to myself, I don't believe in this shit. 
But at the same time, it's really nice and reassuring just to have someone listen to you sometimes. Brenda was in her mid-50s. She had long brown hair, and she was wearing a shapeless sundress. And um, she had this kind of look on her face that was this like, very feigned, caring expression. It's really forced. And she said, what brings you here? <laughs> I said, well, I'm about to do something really, really stupid, and I need to know if I'm going to die today. And she started going into this like really scripted thing where she was talking about like my good energy, how I had good energy as a person, and how my chakras were lined up, and how the stars were in alignment, and how my body was in alignment. And at this point, I started to just kind of drift off into my own world. And I found it comforting. I think anyone would. When I was 19, I came to my dad, I was really panicked. Um, I, I found this lump in my arm, and um, I was sure that I had cancer and that I was going to die. My dad immediately called me down by telling me that, no, this thing is called a lipoma, it's actually really normal. Does anyone else here have lipomas? Yeah, a couple, a couple people know what I'm talking about. What he says, it's, it's a tumor, but it's not cancerous, it's, it's totally benign, and most people that have them have a couple of them in their body, and they just kind of grow over the course of your life. But you know, you find a lump in your body and you think you're gonna die. Um, my dad told me this was totally harmless, of course, and I didn't believe him. So I went to a dermatologist and got a second opinion, said the exact same thing, and said, hey, I could uh, cut that out of you, I'll charge you $1,000, and I said, fuck that. <laughs> Over the course of six years, um, the lipoma grew and grew and grew. I, I started uh, referencing him as Granddaddy because he was the first and the biggest. And Granddaddy was just kind of my little pal that, that uh, tagged along with me to events. And um, in, in situations where I'd see people I know who were married uh, fidgeting with their wedding ring, I would kind of tweedle it around in my arm and turn it around. And it wasn't painful or anything. It was just kind of, it was just kind of there. Um, it's about the size of a Tootsie Roll, maybe a little bit smaller, and about the same consistency. Um, <laughs> and there was just this growing annoyance with it as I, as I got older and older, because it was getting bigger and bigger, and it was starting to frustrate me. By the time I was 25, this was a sort of everyday sort of thing, and my arms started looking weird. I noticed that, especially when I was biking, I would see it right there, and it would be popping out. And I started using um, like x-ray vision in my eyes to like open up the skin there and look underneath, and I could see it. It was, it was kind of yellow and fatty and blobby. And, um, and I could actually feel it in this very moment at the psychic's house, pushing against the glass countertop of her living room table, and it was starting to bother me, and I was feeling this sense of dread. And she said to me, she said, why do you think you're going to die today? <laughs> I decided to tell her the truth. The truth was that the night before I had been at work biking around the U District, I saw my friend in a restaurant. There's this halal burger joint on the Ave. If any of you guys know this place, it's called Burger King. Oh wait, no, it's not called Burger King. What is it called? Does anyone know this? I've totally forgotten what it's called. Um, burger Hut, yes. Thank you. And she was leaving there and I, I ran into her and I told her, I told her um, about the blob in my arm and she immediately said to me, she said, you know, I, could, I cut a lot of dead fish open. I could probably cut that out of you. <laughs> um, this was a friend of mine I really liked. Uh, she's a coworker. Um, she moved away. But um, she had a shaved head. She was like really tough. She wore a lot of black and uh, had muscular arms and never wore sleeves on her shirt. I would be tempted to call her punk rock if I felt like I knew what punk rock was, but I don't because I'm, I'm just a, too much of a square. And um, she offered to take it out of me, and I said, absolutely, I would love that. 
not really thinking about what I was saying. At this point in the story, Brenda's look of feigned interest totally drops off her face, and I feel her lean in to get a little bit closer and get a better look at me. And, <laughs> um, and suddenly, with like the most serious expression in her face, she said, Today, today is not the day you will die. You will live to be an old man. You will live to be 99 years old. I still don't believe this shit, but I'll be honest with you, it felt really nice and comforting to have her say that. So I paid her and I left and I hopped on my bike and I biked back up north and um, dropped by a couple stores and picked up some gauze and I picked up a scalpel. Um, I picked up some comically oversized bandages and a uh, little vial of liquid iodine. I went back to my house and I shaved all the hair off my arm and I went over to my coworker Carrie's house and she opened the door and I could see through the house, I could see in the back porch, I could see this little surgical theater that she'd laid out and there was a towel on the table, a white towel and we had started boiling water to sterilize the instruments. We put it in there and Carrie walks up to me and she says, you know, I have something to tell you. I said, what's that? And she said, last night when I told you I could do this, I was actually really drunk. <laughs> and I'm not so sure that I can do it now, but we'll do it anyway. But I just want to let you know, like, I've never operated on anything that's alive before or not a fish. She was a fish biologist. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I said, how worried should I be right now? And she said, well, how much whiskey have you had? <laughs> I said, not very much. And she said, why don't you try a little bit more? And I was suddenly okay with everything. Um, so as we were getting ready, she was putting on a pair of gloves. The instruments had finished sterilizing, so that was good. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I, I had this pen with me and I drew a circle around granddaddy <laughs> on my arm and I showed her, I was like, this is where, and we were using technical terms, this is where the incision needs to happen. <laughs> and we unwrapped the scalpel and she had gotten in a bike accident recently, so she had some topical anesthetic, and we smeared that on, and it felt nice, it numbed it up real good. And then she grabs the scalpel and um, starts humming to herself, and I look away, and she's humming, the first cut is the At this point, needless to say, time kind of turned into this jelly, amorphous blob that, that, that was as, as almost as blob-like as the blob in my arm. And the next hour and a half kind of washed by me in a strange, strange, surreal way. I closed my eyes, and I felt this sharp, dull pain that was simultaneously moving through my body. And I felt the layers of my skin start to separate away from each other. And I felt that layer between where the topical anesthetic had seeped through my skin to the layer where it has. And it was the most surreal experience I've had in recent years. There's a slow bleeding sensation and she would wipe away with the gauze. And then it would bleed a little bit more and she'd wipe away. It was very slow. It was very slow and controlled. And 30 minutes went by. And I started remembering that I had heard this thing once that someone had said. They said, pain is no better or no worse than any other physical sensation. It's just 
another sensation, but it's, it's more intense. And if you can get past that, pain is nothing. It's just a physical sensation. And that really helped me along as she was there just slicing slowly and deliberately away. And I opened my eyes and I looked down and I could see the cut. And then she wiped away the blood. And I looked down and I saw Granddaddy looked <laughs> just like I thought he would when I had been x-ray visioning my arm. She started squeezing here, and pushing, and pushing, and nothing happened. I closed my eyes again. Another 30 minutes went by, and this time she was now cutting laterally, parallel to the skin, with the scalpel, just slicing away the connective tissue, just like this. And I started feeling like I was in an alternate state. It reminded me of what people talk about when they use hallucinogens, where you start to notice every single thing and you stop worrying so much about today and tomorrow and just start thinking about the now. And so I started noticing just everything, the autobiographical self just melts away. And I feel this oozing and it feels cold. It feels dull and it feels sharp at the same time. And most of all, it just feels personal in a way that I don't know how to describe, despite my best efforts. I started noticing the birds in the distance and the, the road in the distance over here. And then I also started noticing the feeling of Carrie's breath on my arm. And it was faster than I wanted it to be. And it was apparent that she was incredibly nervous because this was taking much longer than we thought. We thought this was going to be a really quick sort of thing, and it wasn't. After all, I was her first living subject, and I was really trying to keep it that way. <laughs> I closed my eyes again. After another 30 minutes, the topical anesthetic had completely worn off. So had the bullshit lie I told myself about pain being just another physical <laughs> sensation, because it isn't. It sucks. Pain sucks. Because this was taking longer than we expected, and we were starting to run out of gauze at this point, and I was not going to the hospital. And the more I thought about it, it wasn't because of the money, it wasn't because of the dermatologist wanting to charge $1,000 to take out granddaddy. Instead, I was starting to slowly realize my true motives here. And what I was really trying to do is I was really trying to give a big fuck you to the medical establishment I'd grown up with and my father's rationality and his calmness and his kindness. It felt really good for a second, and I was starting to be okay with everything again. And I feel this kind of warm, outpouring sensation, and under her breath, just barely audible, Carrie says, Shit. <laughs> I open my eyes and look down, and Granddaddy's still in there. And I say, What happened? And she said, Well, I think I nicked a vein. And so she starts squeezing hard on my arm. And all of a sudden, she'd cut away everything that connected it in there and just popped out, just sitting on my skin. There's still just a tiny bit of connective tissue there. And she takes a scalpel and she just slices it off really quick and uses one of our last gauze pads and puts a lot of pressure on there to stop the bleeding. And I have this little jar of alcohol with me, isopropyl alcohol, and it's a little mason jar. I just plop it in there and screw on the lid really tight like it's something I want to get rid of, you know. I look at Granddaddy, and like I said, about the size of a Tootsie Roll or a gummy bear, just sitting there floating in the alcohol. And I look, and on one end of it, there's 
the tiniest little bit of a vein attached. And this little bastard had gotten into my bloodstream and latched onto my body. And that explains why I bled so much at the very end of it. I looked into Carrie's eyes for the first time in several hours. And I could tell that she was more than just a bit freaked out. That feeling that you get, that shaking feeling you get when you're coming down off of adrenaline. And I said, how bad of an idea was that? And she said, that was a terrible idea. I'm never doing that again to anyone else. And anyone would be right to call us idiots. On that note, <laughs> I went home to visit my parents uh, soon after that. And as I was walking through the house, the first thing my dad said was, he said, whoa. He saw my arm. He saw the scar there. He said, whoa, what is that? I knew I was in for it. Because my dad's a doctor. Remember, that's important. And I knew I was just about to get chewed out for doing a back alley surgery in someone's you know, side yard with a white towel <laughs> covered in blood. She had to throw that away. And I show the scar to my dad and tell him the story. And he says, well, you know, actually, for a fish biologist, she did a really good job. <laughs> but that is one nasty scar you've got on your arm there. So nowadays, um, I still have that jar, and I still have Granddaddy, and I, I keep him next to my bed. And he still floats there in the jar, and I'll show him to anyone who's interested. You know, I said that I usually keep him by my bed, but... No. There it is. If any of you guys want to see this after the show, I'm around. Needless to say, I didn't get gangrene, I didn't even get infected, which I'm incredibly thankful for. But in the meantime, until I find another participant for my studies, um, I'm done with the teenage angst, late onset teenage angst, and I'm also done with scalpels. Thanks so much, guys. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.